the Bible Study Podcast, episode 303. Today, the Bible Study Podcast starts a study of 1 Timothy. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. We're going to start a study here on First and probably Second Timothy, two letters that are pastoral letters, letters that are written to Timothy, and they deal with him as an individual and especially with his role as a pastor. And when we talk about pastor, we're talking about somebody who is a shepherd, and that's really where the term is coming from. So someone who is watching over a particular part of the church. We don't know a lot about Timothy. What we have from him, we gain from the context of the letters, which we'll see. But we also have the introduction to Timothy, which comes from Acts 16. Paul is on his second missionary journey, he and Silas. And the verses go like this. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area, for they all knew his father was a Greek. And they traveled from town to town, and they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Now, the decisions that they are delivering here would be the news from the first council in Jerusalem in terms of, did you have to be Jewish to be a Christian? And the answer that the council had decided was no. This is the reason why I can eat a bacon cheeseburger and not feel guilty about it, because that was decided at that council. So we know that about Timothy. And now let's jump into 1 Timothy 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The first thing that we get established in this letter is that there's a different relationship between Timothy and Paul than between Paul and other people, and that Paul, who is single, who isn't married, has no kids, looks at Timothy like a spiritual son. He looks at Timothy with a fondness for him as if the son he didn't have. And so we get this special greeting here at the beginning of the letter. And then he jumps into business. As I urged you when I was in Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculation rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they were talking about or what they so confidently affirm. A couple things going on here. One is that as Paul would go from town to town, often being kicked out of a town because of something that happened, because of a riot in the case of Ephesus, for instance, a riot that was started because the people of Ephesus were threatened by this Christianity, which became so popular that the people who made the idols to the goddess Artemis of Ephesus, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, felt their livelihood was threatened by this faith, and a riot ensued, and Paul was snuck out of town. And this is not uncommon for him to stay in an area as long as he is welcome and then go on to the next town. But one of the things that he did not do was then leave the church that was new there 
on their own. And we can see if you look at Acts, so-and-so would be left at this place, and -and so-and-so would be left at this place, and then they would catch up later on. We see Luke, for instance, who writes the book of Acts, coming and going from where Paul is as the book changes from third person to first person and then back again. And Timothy apparently has been left in Ephesus or has gone back to Ephesus to see how the Ephesians are doing. And going back with some of the authority of Paul, Timothy's still a much younger man than Paul. And we read about in the letter to the Colossians similar sort of issues about controversial speculations. And Ephesians are apparently having similar things. So Paul writes letters to them and says this sort of things, but then he sends somebody to see how they're doing. And that's kind of the role here when we talk about this being a pastoral letter. It's someone to kind of herd the flock a little bit and someone to see how things are going on the ground and make sure that the church is heading in the right direction. He's heard some things about what's going on in Ephesus and he's concerned. And the two particular things he talks about are myths and endless genealogies. I don't think Paul necessarily has any problem with genealogy per se, but genealogy as a hobby, something that is interesting, is different than genealogy when it becomes more important than our faith, especially when it becomes divisive. I trace back to so-and-so as a way of puffing myself up. That may be one of the things that's going on and something that we can still see today. And myths. Today we would see where there might be places where people put the emphasis on some certain doctrines or theology that is outside of what the Bible teaches as important as what the Bible teaches. That would be time to be concerned. And then he says, the goal of this command is love. And he says, love comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So if you are causing division within the church, If you're causing division because of, and I'm going to go as far as say stupid things, things that don't matter and and putting too much importance on them, and especially putting too much importance on them and not seeing the people as being important, then you've departed from the command of love. And that's when he says, and then you've turned to meaningless talk, talk that doesn't build up, talk that doesn't convict, talk that doesn't edify talk that doesn't encourage, talk that is just small talk. There's a place for small talk for sure, but he's sort of seeing or hearing about this church that all they get is small talk, or at least they get way too large a dose. And he said the problem they've got, and this is the one that concerns me, is they've got teachers of the law People who are teaching and they confidently affirm something, but they don't know what they're talking about. And that, as a teacher, and As I do this Bible study, I'm aware that any verses that have to do with teaching have to apply to me as well. It's something that I have to be concerned about is, do I know what I'm talking about? And I try and tell you what I don't, or I try and tell you those things that I'm sure of and those things that I'm unsure of. But I think he's running into people who don't know much, think they know a lot, and are teaching with confidence and are teaching in error. And the Bible is not too kind to those of us who are teachers who teach in error. And there are verses about millstones being hung about our necks and thrown into the deepest sea that that would be better for us. So he's saying, I'm concerned, and so I want to make sure that you stay there and see what's going on. And he goes on to say, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful the unholy and irreligious, and for those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers, 
for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God whom he entrusted to me. There is a long sentence, but what he is saying is, when we talk about the law being good, what the law does, and he goes into this in much more detail in Romans, is the law convicts us of our sin. The law tells us where what God desires is different from what we desire. The law, as he says in Romans, has no power to save us, but it does have a power to convict us. And I think that's one of the reasons I would say that he's saying that it's not made for the righteous, but for lawbreakers, is that the purpose of the law is to convict us. And he's got a number of different areas here that we could be convicted in. But basically, the idea is in this list that these are things that don't please God, coming from the Old Testament law, and that the purpose of the law is to convict us and to tell us that we need help. In a similar fashion that when you have a fever, it isn't the problem, but it is a symptom that you're sick, so you know to seek help. When you get spots, when you have measles, they are a symptom that tell you that there's a problem so that you can seek help. These things are sins, small s, that tell us of a deeper problem that we have of a broken relationship with God that hopefully will send us to get help and to get help from Jesus. I think we'll stop there for today before we get into the next section. If you have any questions about this study so far, feel free to send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com or leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chris2x. And as always, thanks so much for listening. A crazy world out there, moms and dads. I'm Katherine Seegers, host of Christian Parent Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.